Praise God. All right. Well, we are still talking about God's word on healing that we began a few weeks ago, and we're going to continue that today. So we're talking about today a teaching that I'm entitling The Journey of Faith. So if you would, would you turn to our master text in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. And when you find that, would you stand with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read out of my uh, trusty NIV this time from the, the master text. So it says this, Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God, I love this verse, who the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not only for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, last week I said that it's okay to be on a journey of faith. Uh, Meaning that sometimes in order to get results where healing is concerned, we have to first take that first step toward getting our faith beefed up in this area. I've been having a conversation with the Lord recently about why it seems so much easier to have faith for salvation versus faith for healing. And I believe the Lord's given me a a couple of reasons. And uh, one of those reasons is that Healing, this is in your notes, healing hasn't been preached much. And in some circles, it's even taught against. And let me reference once again, as I've referenced in past teachings in this series, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you never hear something preached, you can't have faith for it. Right? If you don't hear something preached, you can't have faith for it. Um, you see, there's no opposition in the body of Christ to the, the message of salvation. But there is some opposition in some camps to teachings on healing. Uh, why is that? I mean, why are there factions in the body of Christ? Well, I'll remind you that factions among believers isn't anything new. As a matter of fact, there were factions even among the Jews in Jesus' day. You know, there, were, there was these two groups that opposed Jesus, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they were kind of like two different denominations, if you will, back then. Um, And they both had their own ideas about the supernatural. 
Now, we pick on the Pharisees a lot because of how they resisted Jesus so much, but did you know that the Pharisees got a few things right? You see, in Acts 23.8, it says the, the Pharisees believed in spirits and angels and the resurrection of the dead. Well, the Sadducees didn't believe in any of those things. Yet both groups believed in Jehovah, and they read the same Old Testament scrolls. That sort of reminds me of some of the factions that we have today between cessationists who believe that everything supernatural has passed away and continuationists who believe that the gifts of the spirit and the supernatural are all in operation today. It's sort of like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, Folks, by the way, be careful about denying the supernatural because you might just be siding with that same spirit that had seduced the Sadducees of Jesus' time. At one time, Jesus said to the Sadducees, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, that statement had to be a terrible blow to the egos of the Sadducees because they prided themselves in knowing the scriptures so much. As a matter of fact, they devoted their lives to it. Yet Jesus said, you don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. What was he saying? You read the scriptures, but you don't understand it. That's what he was saying. Um, So on that note then, um, just side note, that same thing that Jesus said to the Sadducees, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Sometimes I'd like to say that to some people, but <clears throat> I digress. Um, well, in, in bringing up this point about factions, uh, you've probably never heard of a teaching in any churches that contradicts the message of the cross where salvation of the soul is concerned. We're all pretty much on the same page where that's concerned. So believing for salvation, having faith for salvation is a lot easier because that's all we've ever heard in our church lives growing up. But when you've heard all your life that God heals when he wants to, if he's in a good mood, and sometimes he chooses not to, or that he puts sickness on people to teach them character, then it's harder to believe for healing when those things have been injected in your soul all of your church life. Now, by the way, Um, I can't go back over some of the material that I've already covered in the previous three teachings, but but we went over that concept about how God doesn't put sickness on people to teach them character. That's nowhere to be found in the Word of God. Does God put sickness on people? Yes, but it's always, 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 without exception, an act of judgment. Without exception. Read it for yourself in the Word of God. So again, I can't go over all that again. Um, But even though we've not heard much teaching about this or heard teaching that's actually anti-biblical on this, it's not impossible to begin building your faith in this area in spite of that. Once you start hearing the truth proclaimed and you get your eyes open, then you can begin the process of developing your faith, all right? And by the way, another uh, reason why it's more difficult to believe for healing versus salvation is because of this point right here. This is also in your notes. You can jot some of these, uh, these blanks down here. Uh, we, we tend to trust too much in what we see and feel as our measurement of reality rather than the promises of God, which are obtained by what? 
by faith, always. You got saved by faith. You're to live out the rest of your Christian life the same way, by faith. Praise God. So it does take some, do, some doing to get past those religious, and I don't mean that in a positive sense and in this context. It does take some doing to get past some of those religious mindsets sometimes. But again, it's not impossible. In fact, I want to reference another passage here on this note, Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith is the substance. We, we've read this in previous teachings in, in this series. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay? Not seen. I want to emphasize that because let's go back to the, to the bullet point. We tend to trust too much in what we see and feel as our measurement of reality rather than the promises of God which are unseen, they're obtained by faith until the unseen is brought into the seen. We covered that last week in a little bit more depth. So as I said last week, it's okay, folks, to be on a journey of faith, okay? See, faith isn't a button that we push that gives us instant results every time we pray. It can bring instant results depending on your level of faith and your level of doubt. Remember, if you have strong enough faith and you don't doubt, the Bible says that we can get what we ask for. But if we doubt, we shouldn't expect to get anything from God, according to James 1, right? So your faith can bring instant results if you have strong enough faith and you don't doubt. But often, oftentimes it's a journey of faith. And we learn along the way, just like Abraham's journey of faith that we read about in our master text. So on that note, then, we're going to learn some faith principles from Abraham from that context. And before we go to those principles, I want to say that um, one one other reason why more people don't live like this, other than the fact that they've never been taught to live like this, they've never been taught to live by faith, is because much of this, much of obtaining results in prayer through faith, um, part of that process is fighting the good fight of faith. And fighting isn't always the easiest thing to do, is it? See, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us to labor to enter the rest. Now, that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because how do, you, how do you rest if you're laboring? It says labor to enter the rest. See, sometimes we have to push past those doubts and fears and, and work at it to come to a place where we trust God's promises so much that we can stare death in the face and laugh. Praise God. You know, it's the default position, folks. I'm probably going to step on some religious tradition right here, so brace yourself for a sacred cow being toppled right now. Folks, it's the default position to say, well, whatever will be, will be. God is sovereign, so he'll do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. I love what Pastor Keith Moore says about that mindset. He says, that's no-fault religion. What's that mean? Well, whatever happens, it's not my fault because God is sovereign. He must have ordained it. Right? An extreme example of that would be, you know, if you never change the oil in your car and you drive 15,000 miles on the same on the same, on the same oil change and your engine locks up, you can't say, well, God is sovereign. He must have ordained this. No, dummy, change your oil. <laughs> right? Uh, hallelujah. Okay. 
See, that default position of, well, God is sovereign. He'll do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, regardless of what I do. No, that's the default position. That's actually lazy. That's lazy theology, lazy doctrine, and lazy Christian application, lazy biblical application. And actually, I said it's the lazy way out, but it's actually not a way out at all because that crippling mindset keeps people locked in their circumstances with no hope of escape. But working with God to bring his promises to bear when they're responded to in faith is a much more challenging process sometimes rather than just sitting back in your recliner and watching ESPN and saying, ah, whatever will be, will be. God's in control, so I I have nothing to do with this. Wrong. Wrong. Responding to God's promises and bringing them into reality, responding to them by faith, can be a bit more of a challenging process. So let's look at what we can learn from Abraham. Let's go back to, uh, to him. So first of all, and this first bullet point is in your notes, he had a very close relationship with God. Folks, that's where we begin. That's where the, the life of faith begins. You have to have a very close relationship with God. Now, when I say close, I don't mean you have to do everything perfectly all the time. The Bible says we all fail in many ways. You don't have to live a perfectly sinless life. Abraham didn't live a perfectly sinless life, but he had a heart for God. He went after God. He was constantly pursuing God. He would not let up. Praise God. Another lesson we can learn from Abraham is that he refused to consider outward circumstances. Do you remember what it said in our master text? It said that he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Meaning that he was an old man. How is he going to father children? And his wife, Sarah, she was not able to bear children in her youth. And now she's, now she's an old woman. How is she going to bear? So he, he faced the fact that their bodies were well beyond childbearing years. He faced the fact that Sarah's womb had been dead her entire life. He faced that fact. But he did not waver through unbelief. But he rested in the promises of God. He would not turn loose of the promises of God. We need to learn a lesson from that. Folks, listen, this, this is in the Bible for a reason. This is not just some pretty story. Oh, Abraham was such a great man of faith. As for me, I'm just a little worm of a Christian. I can't expect to, to get much from God. No, 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 no. These are in the Bible for a reason. They're examples for us to follow. Hallelujah. So he refused to consider outward circumstances. Likewise, his mind was fixed on the promise. Write that down. His mind was fixed on the promise. That's what gave him a laser focus to push forward and to move forward in faith in spite of the fact that outward circumstances would suggest there's no way I'm ever going to have kids. This promise from God, that's pie in the sky. I can't believe that because of the condition of my body. No, he fixed his mind on the promise of God. In fact, I want to reference here John 20, 29, where Jesus was uh, talking to Thomas after he had been resurrected from the dead. And Thomas had previously said, I won't believe unless I put my hands in his side and put my fingers in the nail prints in his hands. And Here's what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, because you have seen me, 
you have believed. Check out what he says on the back end of this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's faith. Okay? If you just live your life based upon what you can see, feel, perceive with your five physical senses, you'll never walk in faith. Because faith, it goes beyond, it supersedes our five physical senses, ladies and gentlemen. Are you with me so far? Another lesson we can learn from Abraham is that although Abraham's answer was a long time in coming, how long was it? 25 years. 25 years. He was about 75 when God gave him the promise. And year after agonizing year dragged by, still no child. Although Abraham's answer was a long time in coming, he did not waver. Now, let's go back and read a little portion of that master text again. Uh, I'm going to revisit this for this point. Against all hope, meaning that there's, there's no way you're going to be able to have a child in the physical. Right? Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being, here's a key phrase right here, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, a lot of people believe that God can heal. They just don't know if he will. And see, that's actually the attitude of the the leper that once approached Jesus. And he said, Jesus, if, if, if you can heal me, if you will, and if you're willing, basically, is what he was saying. And Jesus said, I am willing. Be healed. There's a lot of people that believe God can heal if he wants to. They're just not sure that he, he wants to in their case. Okay, and I want to remind you from what I've said from previous teachings. Uh, search the New Testament from front to back. Search the, the Gospels from front to back. There's not a single instance, not one, where someone approached Jesus and Jesus said, you know, God's working something out in your life right now and it's not your time. At some point it will be, but I'm not going to heal you right now. Jesus never did that. Now, Folks, let me ask you a question. Should we take our doctrine from the Word of God or experience? Word of God has to trump experience. It has to. But most people, many people in our church culture today, are developing their theology around experience to try to explain away why they haven't experienced something more miraculous or supernatural. So they lower the Word of God to match their experience rather than to build their faith to match the word of God. And that's what we're trying to do this morning. Okay, I told you, I haven't arrived in this area, folks. I'm, I'm on this journey with you. And that's why we're doing this series. I'm learning right along with you. I'm not where I want to be yet with this, but we're getting there, right? As Andrew Womack likes to say, um, I haven't arrived, but at least I've left. Praise the Lord. 
So, folks, when we base our faith on the improvement of a physical condition or are moved by symptoms or what we see or feel, instead of the Word of God alone, to that extent, ours is not real faith or strong faith. See, to be occupied with what we see or feel is to reverse the process that God lays down for us to follow. And that's why it says that Abraham is the father, uh, our father in the faith. He was the example of how real faith looks and how real faith behaves. That's why he's the father of our faith. One of the reasons why he's the father of our faith. You know, for example, someone could pray a prayer of repentance and, uh, you know, they could then check and see how they feel. And if that prayer of repentance didn't produce some goosebump or butterfly or emotion, they could say, well, I didn't feel anything, so it must not have took. I must not be saved yet. That would be incorrect, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Okay. Um, Repentance and salvation, ladies and gentlemen, have nothing to do with your feelings. Now, I know there are some people that get saved and they got goosebumps, butterflies, they hear a chorus of angels and, you know, there's a wonderful angelic experience that they have. There's other people and I was one of them. I just, when I got saved, I was alone by myself, no music caressing my emotions. I was alone in my bedroom, knelt on a chair, prayed a prayer of repentance all by myself, not a single goosebump, not a single butterfly, but I knew that I knew there was something in my spirit that changed at that instant that I, I, I recognized something's different. Something's different. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't shake. I didn't feel warm honey you know, down my body like some people feel. That's a sensation that some people say they feel. I had none of that. But I knew that I knew in my spirit something had changed. I had faith, you see, that, that guided um, that knowing. All right? Are you with me? So, so your salvation is not a matter of feelings. It's a matter of faith. So that means the promises of God not what we see or feel, must be the basis of our faith. See, faith doesn't bury our heads in the sand and pretend that the problem doesn't exist, of course, but it does acknowledge that there is a higher truth than natural facts. You know, our friend Tom Paso preached a message here a few years ago that there are facts, but then there's a truth. There's natural facts, but then there's God's truth. Hallelujah. See, symptoms are changeable, but God's word stands forever. There could be, quote, facts of what the doctor's report says, but there is a higher truth than what the doctor's report says. If you'll just choose to believe this more than the doctor's report. I'm not against doctors, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know how I feel about that. Um, we're not against doctors. I think God uses doctors sometimes to administer healing. But sometimes a doctor's report, I mean, they say, you need to get your affairs in order because you don't have a whole lot of time left and there's nothing we can do for you. What are you going to do then? Maybe you should believe a different report. Hallelujah. God's word stands forever. Okay. Now, I want to transition here and look again at a passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago and that we read today during our communion time because I want to give you some additional insight on this that will help you in your journey of faith, in your own journey of faith. So I want to go back again to Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5 that we read in our communion time. And again, this is out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I'll explain here in a moment why I've chosen that one. 
I just believe that in this particular case, it's, a, it's, a, it's more accurate where the, the Hebrew is concerned. So let's read this together. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him, and we are healed by his wounds or stripes, some translations say. Now, this verse in the King James, the NIV, and many other translations um, translates that griefs and sorrows instead of sicknesses and pains. Now, look, you know me. I, I have always been an NIV guy. I have great respect for those other translations that I, I mentioned, the King James and all these other translations that translate it that way. I have great respect for those translations. But I have to be honest with you and tell you that those translations did not get it right in this case. And this is important to know, folks, because this verse, translated correctly, has the power to build your faith where healing is concerned. Now, you might say, well, Andy, how do you know that your interpretation is the correct one or that the Holman Christian Standard interpretation is the correct one? Well, just hear me out for a moment, if you would. You see, in 20 other places in the King James Bible, that same Hebrew word koli that was translated into griefs in this passage in the King James, is correctly translated sicknesses in 20 other places in the King James where that same word coli was used. So why the inconsistency? And then that word sorrows in the King James, which is the Hebrew word macab, is correctly translated pains in other places where macab is used in the King James. So again... There's a great amount of inconsistency on both words. And again, it's not just the King James Bible that does this, by the way. I heard of a group of Bible translators who had been brought together to translate a newer version of the Bible in English. And this was many years ago. And when they got to this passage, some of the council members pointed this out and advised that they ought to translate this passage consistently with how these uh, words are used in the rest of Scripture. And I kid you not, some of the other council members responded by saying, well, if we do that, it will play into the position of those charismatics and some of those people that believe that healing is for today. Kid you not. And those other two council members said, but that's the correct way to translate it. And if you don't translate it that way, we will excuse ourselves from this project. But the rest of the council members prevailed. So those two scholars, they dismissed themselves from that translation project. Sad, isn't it? But there are some other old and new translations that do translate it correctly. So just to give some strength to this point, let me give you a few other highly respected translations on Isaiah 53, verse 4. So this is out of the Young's literal translation, highly regarded as very accurate. Young's literal translation out of 1862. Surely our sicknesses he hath borne. And our pains, he hath carried them. And we, we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. Okay, same word. That was translated correctly. Macab and coli 
were translated correctly there. Let's look at another one. This is the JPS Tanakh out of 1917, which is a Jewish translation, and it says roughly the same thing. Surely our diseases he did bear, and our pains he carried, whereas we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And a fairly new translation of the Bible, the literal standard version out of 2020, uh, surely he has borne our sicknesses and our pains, he carried them, and we have esteemed him as plagued, struck of God, and afflicted. So this is actually pretty consistently translated accurately among several highly regarded translations of the Bible. So on that note, why am I going over all this? I mean, uh, this seems kind of academic, right? I mean, why am I going over all this? Because it's important to know this because knowing what the text actually says will lead to proper doctrine. And then proper doctrine will lead to a proper application of our faith. Praise God. And you know, this phrase, by the way, his sicknesses, our sicknesses he hath borne, and our pains he has, he has carried, that phrase right there, verse 4, ought to be riveted into our minds. You know, this passage, although in the Old Testament, is prophesying about what Jesus would accomplish on the cross 700 years later. So why did, why did Jesus have to suffer like that, by the way? Why such a gruesome crucifixion? Why did he have to suffer like that? It's because he was taking upon himself all the curses, the curses of sin. You see, the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now, by the way, why wouldn't it have been just as good for Jesus to be run through with a sword or to be stoned to death or something. Get it over quickly. Why wouldn't that have been just as good? Well, because Jesus, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, such a gruesome, horrific, brutal beating that he took that just filleted his skin, just filleted skin and muscle right down to the bone. And then after that beating, hung him on the cross for four hours where he writhed in agony for four hours before giving up his spirit. Why did it take that? Well, Isaiah 53.10 says this. This is out of the King James. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. The Holman Christian Standard Bible puts it like this. It pleased the Lord to crush him severely, and he made him sick. He made him sick. Now, if you back up, uh, this is actually... Uh, sorry, this is a misprint here. I think this is Isaiah 53.3, not 52.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. Now, Jesus was never sick a day in his life. What is it talking about? What he experienced on the cross. What he experienced on the cross. Okay? So, you see, Jesus had to become the curse as he hung there, because he was taking upon himself all the curses of the law. And if you read Deuteronomy 28, clearly some of the curses of the law involved sickness and disease, very clearly. Um, So Jesus had to suffer to that extent because he was suffering not only for your salvation, but also for your healing. 
Praise God. He was taking upon himself both the curses of sin and also the curses of disease. That's why he had to suffer so much. Not only of of physical disease, but of, of emotional and mental disorders as well. And on that note, do you remember in Isaiah 53 where it says, and we didn't read that whole chapter uh, during our our, uh, communion time, but those of you that are familiar with that passage, that uh, chapter, you might remember that it says that his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man. You remember that? Well, why does it say that? Since we know that some people are mutilated in farming accidents or blown up with bombs or um, torn apart by animals. In Jesus' case, the Bible also tells us that not a single one of his bones was broken. So why does it say that his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man? Well, I believe it's because we couldn't see what was going on in the spirit realm. See, as Jesus became the curse, he took all the disease of mankind upon himself, as well as the wrath of God against sin. And I believe, spiritually speaking... He probably resembled a monster. I believe that's why it says that. Because clearly Jesus' physical appearance was not marred more than any man. I mean, it was terrible. It was awful. It was sickening. But it wasn't marred more than any man. This had to be spiritual. So spiritually speaking, I think that he probably resembled a grotesque monster because of what all he took on upon himself. See, and by the way, I believe that 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 spiritual agony that he experienced was probably the worst agony of all. I mean, the the, the physical agony had to be bad enough, but the spiritual agony he was going through had to be the worst of all. As he cried upon the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, with each blow that Jesus took, God was judging him. God was judging Jesus so that you and I would not have to be judged. Hallelujah. So, listen, folks, knowing that ought to make us indignant with sin and indignant with disease. See, if Jesus suffered so much for your spiritual and physical health, then it ought to fire us up when we're bearing that curse ourselves. See, if we're bearing it ourselves, it means that Jesus suffered for nothing in our case, at least where the the physical healing part is concerned. We ought to fight sickness and disease with everything in us. You don't just need to lay back and take it. You ought to fight it with everything that you've got. In fact, you might just use Isaiah 53.4 as your weapon of war. You know, Ephesians 6 describes the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. So you might just swing that sword by declaring out loud over yourself to help you to to get a revelation about this. Just declare Isaiah 53.4 over yourself to to help you to get a a revelation about this. And, And personalize it maybe for you. Personalize it for you. Something like this. Look at the screen. Something like this. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Man, you ought to just quote that out loud over yourself. Surely Jesus has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. That's what the text says. 
That's what the Hebrew says. That's the accurate translation. You're doing no violence. I know that some of us that have grown up with the King James, New King James, NIV, some of these other newer translations as well, that have never seen what I just showed you today, that you, 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 if, if you hadn't seen what I showed you today, you would be saying, well, that's not, you're doing violence to the, to the translation. No, actually, these other ones are doing violence to the translation. In the original Hebrew, it's sicknesses and pains. That's what it is. So, surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Hallelujah. Praise God. In fact, can we just do a little exercise right now? Maybe we should just get the ball rolling right now and just say this over ourselves right now. You want to do this? Let's say this out loud right now. One, two, three, go. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Say it again. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. One more time. Surely he has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Hallelujah. That's part of what Jesus did on the cross, folks. Very clearly. Very clearly. Now, by the way, I'm going to give you some healing scriptures right now, some other ones that you can be meditating on to kind of build up your faith. And there's way more than the four that I'm going to show you right now. Um, and uh, just so you know that I'm not a King James basher, by the way, I was raised on King James. Uh, so again, I have a great degree of respect for it. But just to show you that I'm not a King James basher, I'm going to give you all of these scriptures that I'm going to, about to put on the screen in the King James. How would that be? Okay? Because I know that there's some of you here that still, you, you love the King James, you love the new King James. That's great. That's awesome. Um, and again, I think in many other places, I, you know, I've compared so many versions of the Bible. If you're a really good student of the Bible, you ought not be relying on just one version of the Bible, by the way. Can I take a little side journey for here for a moment before we get to this? Um, you know, I've had people contact the church sometimes. They're looking for a church, and so they'll, they'll, they'll send me a, an email on the website, and they say, what version of the Bible do you use? I know right there what they're getting at. They want to know if we're a King James-only church. And I always respond with this. The authorized version of the Bible are the original Hebrew and Greek in which they're written. There is no English authorized version of the Bible, folks, because if that's the only authorized version of the Bible, what are the poor North Koreans reading? What are people in China reading? Right? And, and, and the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek are very expansive languages, and it's, it's, it's very difficult, I mean, nearly impossible to take this little, I mean, English is so inadequate compared to Hebrew and Greek. You cannot take those expansive languages and try to squeeze them in to, to English and make that work. As I've t told you before, just the word shalom, in order to fully understand shalom, You've got to have an entire paragraph in English to understand that word fully. So just to translate shalom into peace is extremely inadequate. Very, okay, so, so having said all that, now I've, I've compared all these versions of the Bible in my 30 years walking with the Lord. And the King James does an awesome job in some areas where some of the newer translations don't get it right, and King James does. So I'm not throwing out the King James. I have a very high respect for the King James. The NIV Bible that I read out of all the time, it's got some problems. It's not perfect either. But it's an awesome translation in most of their areas. But I can give you six or eight examples where the NIV doesn't get it right. 
Isaiah 53, 4 is one of them. So that's why you've got to use a lot of different translations of the, of the Bible. And uh, the Holman Christian Standard, I love that one. Um, anyway, all right, so <clears throat> that's enough on that point. Let's get to these uh, scriptures here real quick. Um, Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Praise God. Jeremiah 30, 17, for I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Exodus 23, verses 25 and 26, and ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Psalm 91, 10, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Those are good promises, aren't they? You might want to memorize those. Hallelujah. Now, one more. Exodus 15, 26. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that he is the Lord that healeth you? Now, throughout this series, <clears throat> I've been giving you a testimony every Sunday of uh, examples in this congregation where God has healed. So, you know, for those people that, you know, cessationists that say healing passed away, uh, I'm sorry, you came too late to tell me that. Because I've seen healing in my own life, I've seen healing in my family's life, I've seen healing in this church, and there's several examples of that. So I want to give you an example every week to help you to build your faith that God is still a healer, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to ask the Bell family to come up right now, and they're going to give a testimony right now of what God did for them with uh, one of their kids. So, Bell's come on up. And guys, I'm about to lose my battery here. So if they actually, you know what? Um, this might go out on you. So because this battery's about gone, but we'll see how long it lasts. If need be, I'll just give you my lapel mic. Well, Andy asked us to speak about Jackson. Um, has anybody ever heard that song, I See the Evidence of Their Goodness All Over My Life? So every time I hear that song, I get emotional because I look at my children, I look at our life, and God has blessed us beyond words could even imagine. He's blessed our marriage, um, he's blessed our finances, and he has healed our children. Um, so I'll make it kind of short. Andy wanted me to specifically speak about Jackson, but when Mary Beth was talking about abortion, my mind was everywhere else, so I'm going to give kind of a condensed version. Jackson, he was three years old, and he was with Nate, because my children only get hurt when they're with Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but they were watching a softball game, and he climbed to the top of the bleachers, and he fell off the bleachers. How old was he at the time? He was three, and it happened in a, in a flash. I, I stood up, they were, we were on the third set of bleachers. I stood up, turned around, and they both climbed to the very top one. Um, all I heard, it was horrible. I mean, it sounded like somebody took a melon and just dropped it on the concrete. He fell, Jackson fell flat on his back and hit his head. Um, split his skull open under his skin. It died? Okay. 
Here, I'm just going to extend my uh, lapel mic for you. So he had a hematoma, and basically with that, it didn't break the skin. It was on the outside. They did CT, they did MRI, and it was more of an epidermal hematoma, so it was the inside barrier of the outlining of the skull. And what they were concerned about was that the bleeding would go further inside to the skull. Um, they shipped him off to Riley, and Nate and I just stood on the word, and we prayed, and the bleeding all went outside. Yeah. There was nothing internal. It was completely healed, healthy, strong, yeah. no interventions, absolutely nothing. But then, as we were talking about the abortion, um, I was pregnant with Anna and Ava, the little girls that you guys see running around here. And I'm sure most of you guys heard this story a billion times, but I just want to talk about that. I went to a doctor here in Columbus, and it was a rare pregnancy. They were mono twins. Basically, they shared the same placenta, the same sac, and the doctor did not give me very good outcomes. Even suggested, you know, abortion was a choice. I didn't like those results. I didn't like hearing that. So I went to St. Vincent. St. Vincent told me pretty much the same thing, you know, and I didn't like one, what they had to say. Yeah, one doctor even suggested that we abort them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we went to IU and... Um, when I went in for the first time seeing the lady, she didn't know anything about us, and she was humming Christian hymns mm-hmm. while she was ultrasounding me. And I knew she was the one. Mm-hmm. And she was wonderful. Um, they ended up putting me on bed rest, and I had the girls, I had them at 29 weeks. Ava was... She weighed one pound, 14 ounces. Anna was two pounds, four ounces. As soon as I had the girls, they took them away. I didn't get a hold of them. They were immediately put on ventilators. Those girls, um, when you say standing on faith, that's what Nate and I did. We stood on faith. We decided from that moment on, we were going to walk by faith. Not by what we heard, not what the doctors told us. We would get phone calls in the middle of the night. They've, you know, maxed out this ventilator. You know, there's nothing else that we could do. They switched him on to another ventilator. They had feeding tubes. They had so many blood transfusions. Ava had a hole in her heart. Everything that you could imagine was coming down on us. Their vision, they talked about them not being Everything. able to see. Yeah. And we did not stand on that. We did not believe it, we wrote verses and we put that around our girls. So when we weren't there, those nurses, maybe they weren't believer, but they would read those verses and little did they know, they were praying over my girls and your girls when we were not there. I had people and love and support, Um, Wilma, Sharon, everybody. (laughs) Yes. And Cindy, they were filling in these gaps for me. They were speaking things that I did not even know what to speak or say. Mm -hmm. And those girls are healthy. 
They've been discharged from pulmonary. They've been discharged from the cardiology. Vision's perfect. They have yep. nothing. They are completely whole. Hallelujah. So. Amen. Thank you. No, that's awesome. If you, actually, if you would take that back to the booth, they'll put a new battery in it. And guys, once you get that new battery in, would you bring that back up here so I can use it here in a minute? Praise God. Isn't that awesome? And, and what a wonderful thing to be in a church where they had this kind of teaching and had this kind of support uh, where they knew what to do when they faced a crisis situation. And those little girls are such beautiful little girls, and they're, they're some of my favorite people on the planet. And they're so sweet, and they, they run up to me and give me hugs, and, and I just love them. So, and then, you know, that, uh, that crisis situation with Jackson, I mean, when we heard about that, I mean, the whole prayer chain got together and didn't just beg God. I mean, asking is part of it, but we declared healing over that young man. And there he is right back there today, just healthy and handsome as can be. And, uh, you know, God performed a miracle in his life, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to start to come to a close here uh, in a minute. Um, When we start to talk about the subject of healing, too often the arrows all go in. And what I mean by that is too often it's, it's all about me and my healing. But ultimately what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do is to use us as instruments of God's glory. You see, he wants to use you, yes, you, to administer healing and deliverance, as well as salvation to the hurting, the broken, the destitute, and the outcasts. Folks, our religious culture is so stodgy and self-serving. But God wants to break out. And he, he, but he's, he's got to have people who will say yes to his call to move beyond simply having the proper doctrine. And I believe in doctrine. I've given you doctrine today. But he he wants us to move beyond simply having the proper doctrine to, wait for it, having the right spirit. See, you can have the proper doctrine, but still not have the right spirit. See, what God is looking for is a spirit of compassion to those around us. Um, Even the ugliest and most vile of people. Um, A spirit of mercy that moves us to action on behalf of the hurting. You know, when we can start living like kingdom people like that, who care more about people than we do our religious traditions or our doctrinal differences or even our own blessings, it's then that I think that we'll see greater manifestations of the move of God in our churches and our lives and in our nation. Praise God. So I want to give you a, a closing quote where that's concerned. Theologian. Uh, Rick Renner, who is also a pastor in uh, Russia, he's uh, American, but he pastors a church in Russia, amazingly brilliant theologian. He says this, when, when a believer or a church is committed to the Great Commission and follows the Holy Spirit's strategy to reach the lost, God's power gloriously shows up in that believer's life or in the life of that congregation. So if we want to see greater moves of God in our church, as Mary Beth was saying this morning when she spoke, we need to be all about the Great Commission. Hallelujah. Praise God.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.